0: Welcome to Percussion Perspectives,
1: a podcast by Henrik or Larsen and Håkon Steiner. Each episode features one or more musical artists in conversation about musical education, their practice and aesthetic and sociological perspectives.
2: For this episode of the Percussion Perspectives podcast, we talk to Russell Greenberg in New York City. Russell is an exponent for an experimental cross-genre music. He's a founding member of the Yarn Wire Quartet, a piano percussion group that commissions new work for this format. And he has performed at numerous venues and festivals around the United States and in Europe. In addition to his work with the Yarn Wire Group, Russell is a member of the Wet Ink Large Ensemble and has appeared with groups such as Either Or, International Contemporary Ensemble and Argento. He studied in New York and in California and is currently the co-leader of percussion studies at the Purchase College in New York. In my chat with Russell, he talked about his early musical influences and about aspects connected to creating, running, and communicating within an ensemble. You'll hear four musical excerpts in this episode, and they are, from beginning to end, Yarnwire and Travis LaPlante, excerpts from the album Inner Garden, then you'll hear the track Out To Lunch from the legendary Eric Dolphy Out To Lunch album from 1964, Thirdly, you'll hear Russell's group Seven Tears perform the track Meet Me from their 2013 album Power Ballads. And lastly, you'll hear an excerpt from George Crump's Music for a Summer Evening performed by the wonderful Yarn Wire.
1: So, um, yeah, good to see you, Hakan. Um, So a little bit about me. Um, You know, I I know this is a percussion podcast uh, in in specific, but, you know, I think my background, um, I didn't start playing percussion. Let's just put it that way. I started as a pianist yeah. um, when I was three. I guess if you can call yourself a pianist at three, <laughs> not, not really, but uh, so I started learning. learning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a great <laughs> concert. No, um, I started, you know, learning music when I was three um, at the piano. And, you know, those early years, just taking private lessons and stuff. And, and somewhere along the line, maybe in junior high, I picked up the electric bass and um, started playing in jazz band and s- at school and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, it really wasn't until later in junior high school and in the U.S., that's like, uh, I don't know, sixth grade, seventh grade, um, mm-hmm. that I started uh, playing drums
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, playing vibraphone, you know, which was kind of an easy matchup. Uh, with piano playing
0: Um,
1: but my earliest stuff was through jazz band at school and my earliest interests as a teenager were less uh, classical percussion and I have to say I was listening to um, Ornette Coleman, uh, John Coltrane, Sonic Mm -hmm. Youth and like that area at Tower Records in my neighborhood which right. which is in california in la Post and so like my and, uh, avant-garde jazz kind of thing yeah like yeah it's kind of kind of nerdy to say that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> pretty yeah. pretty dorky but that that's kind of where my mind was like this is the 90s I... or the 80s yeah how old yeah, you? yeah. 90s. 90s 90s yeah um and so and you're so also that...
2: surrounded by uh grunge and hip-hop and all these other
1: interesting pop pop cultural things but you ignore absolutely. them absolutely passionate you passionately no no no. Either. i, I No, no, not, not, I didn't passionately ignore it. I mean, I, I didn't name drop, you know, Pearl Jam or, you know, all those amazing bands too, but I was listening to, to bands and, Mm. and uh, uh, improvised music actually. Mm. And me and my friends would um, go down into, into LA and check out, you know, um, check out bands, but also check out improvisers and, Mm. and things like that. Like I remember seeing Nels Klein as like a 16 year old, you know, in some, Place in in LA. There may this be like five impro- other people. It free stuff yeah. Impro-
2: yeah.
1: Free free improv stuff on guitar, yeah. yeah. And it just like blew my mind, and yeah. like that was that was the world. And so my musical projects back then were kind of around that. And then um, in terms of schooling, so I was like, I want to be a musician. This is you know my vehicle at that point was yeah vibes and drums. Mm. Um, I want to you know pursue that, and so then. Um, I went to school. I went to UC Berkeley. Mm -hmm. There, uh, it was a general music degree. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, I had amazing teachers just in, you know, music history, theory, composition. It's where I learned uh, Max MSP. They had a computer music center there. So it was awesome. And then in terms of percussion, um, I studied with Willie Winant, who um, is at Mills College uc berkeley and at santa cruz and it was with him that i really started digging into like our contemporary classical world right Mm. um i did some playing with the san francisco contemporary players thanks to him Mm. um and just like he really like exploded my whole viewpoint um after what were the what were
2: the first things that kind of blew your mind in this genre the contemporary genre
1: it's again pretty nerdy, but like you know, Zanakis was blowing my mind, and Steve yeah. Reich was blowing my mind. So like that's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> what pieces? And, what pieces? Uh, Re-Bones, which I just told you I was just teaching yeah. another you know student, um, and with with uh, the Reich, you know, uh, Marimba phase, clapping mm. music, mm. Um, a lot of the duo stuff. Mm. Um, but that was kind of like you know, and at at Berkeley even though I was an undergraduate, there were a lot of composers there, Mm. like the grad students. Mm. And so from very early on, I would work with them
0: Mm.
1: on new stuff. And I think like, I see that like as what kind of started everything that I'm into now, like friends like Aaron Einbond, Fang Lin, um, they were all there. Mm. Like, and so we became lifelong friends and and that kind of started there. Mm. Then after that, um, I talked to, you know, percussionists in the area and conductors, and they had recommended Stony Brook University um, out East. And mm. so I went there to study with Ray DeRoche um, for my master's. Um, and then he retired and Eduardo Leandro came. And so I did my master's and doctorate in New York. And once you come here, you can't leave. So I'm stuck here <laughs> in New York now. <laughs> and this is how long ago now? 15 Ooh, years, I moved 20 out to New York. I moved out <clears> to New York in 2002. Right, 20 years coming. Yeah, yeah almost wow. 20 years, yeah.
2: And so you build up a career as a chamber musician, basically, and solo a mm-hmm. chamber musician. <clears throat> do yes. you think that has anything to do with your kind of band background, though? I feel that's uh, very much for me,
1: like I'm a band guy. Totally. And, yeah. and you know, I, I don't think about it too much, but, you know, thinking back on my history, yeah, it's totally about playing with other people. I You're love just, playing solo, yeah. solo yeah. things, too. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fun, but actually, just like I get so much from other people. Yeah um and but not too
2: many of them like uh not too many kind of, yeah, yeah uh, you know like qu- four or five yeah yeah totally. and also the do-it-yourself aspect that you have to do every part of the production chain like totally so and
1: yeah. and that that that's the way it is from you know improvised music to like i've played in a bunch of rock bands yeah. and like that that working ethos of like okay i have to sound good both on my instrument but also like through the speakers. Yeah. I have to know how yeah. to produce sound electronically. I have to, yeah. you know, I have to know these things and I can't like um, rely on on just my technique or the acoustic instrument because yeah. that's not the only thing. It's like yeah. all of these things have been brewing for so long. So and that was kind that of parallel to brewing. you, this
2: interest for electronics and uh, also things uh, that weren't related to um,
1: the practice room, say. Totally. And and I think that actually there it's related to being an audience member. Um, yep. and and listening not from above but but from the view not the viewpoint, I guess so mm-hmm. um, listening from the the viewpoint of a, yeah. of someone who's being affected by the music because yeah. I think when it comes down to it, like I've always been interested in like why like why do music you know right. it's because it's affecting and it's like yeah. powerful
2: And, and this so if you, I think a lot yeah. about this uh, at the moment like <clears throat> how much are we subconsciously, affected by listening so much to produced music and also in our generation growing up with rock and and all that like and also the earphone thing so the concert experience is one thing but we we still belong to the the generation who bought a lot of records and uh, kind of listening to really produced music Uh, and how this has influenced your work also with the kind of uh, acoustic realm like with yarn wire for instance you're you sound very
1: yeah you sound like a good production right yeah, I, I think about that a lot because there's like two aspects to what, to what I do and what, you know, what Yarnwire does too. It's like, you know, you have to be able to perform live and the energy that you produce when you're performing live is like so visceral to an audience. They can see you doing a gesture. They can see you moving and, and they have the sound coming to them. But on, on a recording, they don't have those visual cues. And so, you know, I mean, if recorded music pop music from the 60s 70s has always done this but classical music hasn't necessarily i feel like yeah it's like in order to get that vibe in order to get that impact put a compressor on it yeah. or you know you know limit the thing and do some do some stuff we have to use recording if anyone's going to be interested in it like to to amplify like how it would be if they saw us live you
2: exactly know? i couldn't agree more i think yeah totally totally agree
1: but then it also kind of like loops back in on the on the concert stage because when we do have electronics mixing with acoustics we have to then think like okay like is my acoustic sound thin right. you know or is it too overwhelming or or how do we yeah. mix the acoustic and the electronic yeah. you know and and it's a cool feedback loop
2: i, I, I you probably agree on this but i think the, the work in the studio or in the home studio or whatever learns you so much about so much more about sound than just playing A kind of acoustic interpretation in a given space.
1: Totally, yeah. (laughs) So you just learn so
2: much about listening, really. Russell, uh, tell us about your current projects and how that kind of plays out um, artistically yeah. as well as, uh, it's also interesting to hear about organization, maybe even finances, you know, touch the kind of real life part of it.
1: Oh yeah. Woo. Yeah. Big. Okay, so um, I would say my main project um, artistically, but also financially uh, would be Yarn Wire, uh, the two piano, two percussion quartet. Um, that's the main thing. And that's been going since I was a graduate student. Um, officially this is like our 15th season. So that started in 2005, I I think. So it started off with a, you know, mostly students playing together and, um, doing recitals, (laughs) you know, for our degrees, we had to learn rep for our recitals. And so we found what, um, what was out there. Um, there's a lot of like ear come music and bar talk obviously. And, and uh, What was your Linnea first George piece? George was Bartok your first piece? No, it wasn't. Um, it was the Barrio, I think, um, or the George Crumb actually. Amazing pieces. Yeah. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah. And so then, you know, you run out of music real fast. And, um, the thing that we started doing was asking our friends to write Pieces. So I mentioned May Fong earlier. She wrote us an early piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then we asked Alex Minchek. We asked, um, you know, Eric Webbles, Kate Soper, all from like an early album that we put out. And all of this music, we just had people write because we needed tunes. Yeah. And like um, a friend of ours, uh, David Franzen. You yeah. know who I met when we met at Darmstadt long, long time ago. 2008, um, yeah, yeah, 2008. Mm. Uh, asked him for a piece, and he happened to be in New York, which I yep. didn't even know. And yeah. bam, so that happened. So it all happened because of friends. Mm. You know, mm. um it changed over time. You know, uh, our first pianist, he got a job and went to um Notre Dame. He's like, I can't do it anymore. Cool. And then second pianist, he was ready to move on. Um, you know and do different things and that was always shocking and and challenging mm. um but it helped us grow mm. you know and there's always the potential for changes in the future life happens right. you know like 15 years ago i was in a very different place personally than yeah. than i am now you know meaning and, your and colleague ian is still the original member with you that's right and laura yeah. laura actually laura. Okay. so yeah there's three of us yeah Amazing. and um but you know Now, a bunch of us have families and uh, other responsibilities. And so, like, the way we were able to make music as students um, isn't the way we're able to make it now. And I feel really lucky that we're able to have grown in this way, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, to support each other, both Mm -hmm. financially but also artistically. And so, that's it's really special, you know. But um, one thing that time has shown, it's that, you know, things might change and that they can change and you know the thing about any band is you have to always be in conversation right. um, um, how would you
2: describe that, that sort of process typical uh, uh, so you're saying that all of you have less time in your hands uh, does it mean more a more critical kind of filtering before going into a project what does it mean like in practical
1: That's a great question. Yeah, it is way more, way more, uh, way more filtering. It's like, I think we, we choose the projects we want to do, and Mm -hmm. we're kind of in charge of them. Um, and so there needs to be an infrastructure behind it, you know, uh, financially and logistically. Um, but also if there's teaching engagements or residencies and things like that, we have to weigh the pros and cons of doing those things because mm-hmm. on the one hand we might be, um, earning a fee, but on the other hand, it might be taking some time away, honestly, from an artistic project. Um, and so we have to weigh, weigh what's important at any given moment.
2: Mm-hmm. And how do you, um, how did you end up, uh, you said you worked a lot with friends, but like once you move out of that kind of circle, um, is there a, democr- a democratic process leading up to each commission or how, how does this work?
1: I think like on on everyone has the ability to veto something. If they don't really like something, um, we have that ability. But um, we also all feel really able to bring in ideas. Um, and so it's just always suggestions. Um and you know figuring out what the opportunities might be mm. i would say in the last like three years we're starting to take on fewer things so that we could do longer pieces and kind of stretch out mm. whereas when we were just starting out we would try and do a lot a lot a lot yeah and um that's that's much harder now yeah um
2: what kind of climate do you have like when discussing artistic oh, things man. within a rehearsal uh how how what what did you learn from those 15 years
1: I think we all learned that we have really fragile egos. Um, <laughs> it's like the, the, the truest thing because like um, early on, you know, I mean, each of us as musicians, especially percussionists, you know, when you're listening to other people play time, um, you know, we have very specific thoughts and we hear very specific things. Um, I think we've been able to develop a way of speaking to each other that is no longer, um, not that it ever was, but it's not accusatory. Mm. Um, and it's like accepting of the fact that everyone plays differently and, uh, works differently. So like getting rid of the ego, like if Laura looks up at me, if I play a note in a specific place is Laura, the pianist, if she looks up at me with like a quizzical look, I would say maybe 10 years ago, I'd be, I'd be like, what? what's the matter, you know, and like be yeah. upset, yeah. you know, like shoot her some kind of, <laughs> some kind of look. And, and if I'm really being honest after those rehearsals, when stuff like that would happen. And of course I would give her looks too. Um, we would have to talk about it. Mm. And I would say, Hey, Laura, you know, I was getting really like, a, I was getting bad vibe. Mm. She's like, Oh, really? Huh? I was just looking. And so we learned that everyone starts misreading people's cues sometimes because everyone is a little concerned about themselves too much. And so um, over time, we figured out ways of talking to each other that, you know, we could suggest things. We could say, hey, you know, I felt that this was slowing down, you know, Mm -hmm. because in reality, when when there's no leader, when there's no conductor, Mm -hmm. and you're dealing with just Chamber musicians, yeah. really, what you hear is your perception. Yeah, um, and so I think framing it in that way, even though secretly I knew I was right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Cause no, cause but, you, you have know, all
2: like, those hours with the metronome. <laughs> that's right.
1: No, but you know, it. Yeah. I was mostly wrong. You know, so like everything is your personal perception. And so yeah. if we can frame things in those terms, then then it works out because if Laura says, "Hey, I think." things are slowing down. If she says that, what am I gonna say? Am I gonna say no? Mm. Like she's feeling that thing, I can't deny her that. And so I I have to take her at her word. And so we say, okay, cool, let's try it again. Because even if I didn't experience that, I have to acknowledge that someone was. And so there's something to be worked on there. And even, even if nothing happened, literally playing another piece of music again, is a good thing to do in rehearsal. <laughs> right, right, yeah.
2: So and, you're and, never losing out. And would you say that you kind of uh, have uh, complementary roles within the group, whether that's discussed or not? Like, do you have, do you fill out each other in certain ways? One is a thinker, one is more pragmatic.
1: I, you know, I've never thought of things that way, but I think, yeah, that's probably how things work out. Um, I think, yeah, and that might be, you know, one of the things that has helped us evolve, over time is like mm. uh, these different strengths and stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure.
2: How do you solve practical things in a city like New York, uh, in terms mm-hmm. of rehearsal space, instruments, transporting things? I don't know if you go to, um, you have a university gig or whatever gig you have. Mm. Do you have a backline firm or do you bring your stuff? Cause you have so many special
1: things. Yeah. yeah that's such a tricky question. I mean, I know the answer to it. I'm saying it's tricky because, um, The answer to this kind of sheds a light on what I imagine is our like specific cultural and musical life in the United States and Mm. and some of the problems with it. Mm. So if you're a student at university, you have access to things, right? And depending on where you go, there's a supportive community um, for new music. But once you get out of school, really the places that new music is thriving is in the major cities, uh, LA, Chicago, New York, A handful of maybe other places, but those would be the three main cities where I could say, maybe you could make a living freelancing or whatever. Right. Mm. Maybe. Um, And so once you're out of school, the issue of gear does, does come up. And um, so I own all my gear. With the exception of large things, which Yarnwire was able to get because of uh, private foundations. So in the U.S., we have a lot of private funding.
0: Mm.
1: And I put private in uh, quotation marks because it's... Or no, a lot. I put a lot in quotation Mm. marks. This is Mm. not that much. Um, And we have very little state uh, or national funding um, compared to other places. We do receive city funding we receive state funding and national funding but as yeah. a portion of of what we are bringing in it's not enough to run the ensemble
2: would you have say. to apply for uh, on a yearly basis or
1: every year yeah, yeah. big application yeah. process that's or right actually our state two. one now is a three-year renewable so we're lucky in that way mm-hmm. but um you know it's just a little piece piece of everything
0: yeah.
1: um and so in school is when I bought most of my gear. Um, mm. And so now in my studio, I have like a lot of gear. I don't have a marimba mm. right now. And so that's a big, you know, question mark. Of course, mm. I'm no longer playing that marimba repertoire that I was playing as a student. So
0: yeah.
1: um, for Yarn Wire, we were able to access some funding to buy some baby grand pianos.
2: Okay, uh, so you have two foundation. grands in your in yours,
1: in yeah. Yours. oh that's Yeah, cool. and that's uh, thanks to actually a... <laughs> a Swiss foundation wow. um, yeah so that they <laughs> helped out. Thank you very much um, and but yeah so like in terms of gear it's 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 a huge amount of overhead. I think about yeah. um, other ensembles like a string quartet or whatever. Mm, Obviously yeah, their that. instruments are so expensive don't yeah. get don't get me wrong sure um, but in terms of space, we are paying rent every month, yeah. um, in New York. We are we pay for our gear, so we have a lot of overhead for for mm-hmm. this group. And there's not many full time new music ensembles, I would say, because you know the cost of living in New York is so high. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers a lot of it, but like in terms of space, um, we found our current space be- because I was traveling between an art studio and my apartment. Uh, 15 years ago Mm. and I saw a sign on this big industrial building in Bushwick that said lofts for rent (laughs) or space for rent. Mm. And I was like, okay, I'll call it. I called. Mm. And the guy was there. He said, are you nearby? I said, yes. And I showed up, he showed me a space. I, and I said, we'll take it. Mm. And that's (laughs) how it happened. So our space is in Bushwick Ridgewood, New York, which now you could not find a space for, for, For what we have it for, right. um, but it's at the whim of development and and you know the market forces that exist in New York City real estate. So yeah, yeah. the the long term, I I don't know the answer to these questions. Okay. But um, you know, in the U.S., it's it's a lot of um, there's a business kind of side to things okay, um, in order to survive. Yeah, you know. Sure.
2: But you have a space where you can practice whenever you want and all, all, all day long. So that's uh,
1: totally. Probably, yeah, yeah, we have yeah. a we have a space twenty four hours, and yeah. we yeah we're going to start live streaming some things from there now too. So, amazing. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah, so we have to percussionists. We we have to have space, regardless if it's a two piano two percussion group or your own yeah. stuff. It's like space yeah. is key and, and instruments. So I think the sooner you think about it, kind of the better, because it it really yeah. does does shape what you make
2: and for everything else you do in new york as a freelancer or as a group mm-hmm. member of other other things you use those instruments and you kind of go to other spaces to rehearse
1: with your car or whatever yeah well so that's changed that's interesting um now even for yarn wire we will have a presenter rent stuff <laughs> yeah um because this is something i hadn't thought about maybe you're feeling it too but moving gear when you're older actually it's like not that good for your body. <laughs> um, <laughs> it turns out that lifting yeah. heavy things is actually bad for your yeah. wrists yes <laughs> um and so nowadays when we can we have at least someone come to our space to pick stuff up and put it in their truck yeah. um and if i'm playing a gig if it's a vibraphone fine you yeah. know but if it's a if it's a big schlep um i usually will ask people uh yeah. to rent
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah um i've seen a lot of percussionists um, who have gotten injured from moving stuff and, you know, not being able to play your instrument because of like the schlep. It's like, I think you need to make, make the call at some point. Yeah. So uh, other projects other than Yarnwire, are like more band related. I would say, um, the most recent one, which is, I mean, it's a little bit on hiatus. It's this one called seven tears. Um, and, uh, it's, it started with, um, guitarist charlie looker he now lives in la actually and uh it was kind of a reimagining of um renaissance music coupled with i guess like 60s and 70s vocal harmonies and and classical percussion which is where i came in (laughs) and so like so we did a lot of really cool stuff it's with amirtha kadambi on vocals and uh robbie lee on guitar Mm -hmm. and and uh organ and all this stuff and so that was a really fun project we did some touring put out a couple records actually we put out a ep during the pandemic <laughs> Yeah, in terms of like current listening, I I really love um, Andrew McIntosh's music. He's an American composer. He's out at, at CalArts. Um, really, he's a really good friend, but also I think it's really fascinating uh, music. Um, he does a lot of tuned pipes. Um, we recently did a new piece of his. It's funny, most of the stuff I listen to nowadays is things I'm involved in, which is kind of a shift yeah. from, from past. And so in a way I have to kind of um, dig in to, to more things. Um, the last couple records I've bought, I, there's a really great record by Sarah Devachi. I think she's uh, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Judith Haman has a cool like cello and humming record, which I think is, is good. And uh, Nate Woolley's always great um he's a trumpeter improviser okay but uh yeah there's there's a lot of great stuff out there
2: do you do you see yourself listening to your own stuff uh, still like uh, after you produce it and uh, kind of having it uh, as a part of your everyday listening experience or do you yeah after you spend like two weeks mixing do you just leave it
1: I still listen to stuff, but yeah, I give it a little space, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give it a little space so that my ears can yeah. can stop bleeding. But um, yeah, I, I do like listening to things that I've produced in the past and actually hear how my production might have changed um, and decisions that I've made. Um, but yeah, for sure.
2: Um, I'm not sure if this is a good random question, but I'll just ask it anyways. Is there any... How does the other... How does a city like New York influence you as a musician apart from just inside the world of music? Are there any other art forms that are important to you?
1: Are there any other it. Yeah, that is a really good question. I, I think it's pretty music-centric, at least pre-pandemic, obviously, because it's, it was really just easy to go to a concert and see, see stuff. And I would start making it a, a little bit of a habit of trying to see shows um, that I didn't know people who were there, you know, because the one downside to, I think any city is you start seeing the same people and and being part of the same scene. So the benefit of a place like New York is that um, there's so many scenes happening that you can access them like pretty easily any night of the week.
0: Um,
1: But in terms of other art forms, yeah. I mean, I check out, you know, what's going on at, at various galleries often, but I don't think it has necessarily that much influence on, what i'm interested in as a musician um i i i like these other art forms just to kind of get away from music mm. a little bit and mm. so having access to other stuff and great parks and you know hikes and everything i think um or cool. what new york is great for me <laughs> cool we didn't something. talk drums too much though man no,
2: what sticks do you use man
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: are you sponsored uh, by, by like Vic Firth Unfortunately, or fortunately, whoa! It's we're still recording. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Are you?
2: <laughs> so you have a signature five A new music five B 5B. special five B yeah <laughs> contemporary special plastic oh. tip. Awesome!
1: You're a pro. You're a real rock star, aren't you? Do you have T-shirts? DIY T-shirts. We do. Would you like one? <laughs> I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna send you one. And this actually, is so we funny. We have large ones. I I, got one um, and a tote bag. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man. Yeah, I really Oh yeah, we could it. we could we could really get into it. Just I mean, there if one thing that and you can use this if you want. But like one thing about the the pandemic and all this stuff is the like hyper capitalization uh cap capital Yeah, the hyper capitalization yeah. in US music and and culture. Mm. It's just it's so intense yeah and I, I feel like people lose sight of making work um, it's back to that question I actually mentioned earlier it's like um, why do you get into into it you know right. and if 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 we lose sight of that it's it's actually not worth it I don't think mm. um, at least for me personally
0: mm. you
1: know the stakes are not that you know dire you know right but um, making work is. And so I think that has to really come first. And, and for me, I feel like all these mechanisms we're talking about rent and, you know, student loans mm-hmm. and like getting grants and all that stuff, they're actually just means to being able to make work yeah. because there's no other way here. Um, a university, you could, you know, get teaching jobs and stuff like that, but that isn't to support work necessarily, right. no, exactly. you know what I mean? Um, and so it's a, it's a really big, big question here.
2: Are you now kind of amid one of those existential moments or you see that approaching where you feel we really have I see to see it coming?
1: Think,
2: yeah. We have to think I whether
1: yarn wire lasts another 20 years. Absolutely. I, I would love for it to last another mm-hmm. twenty years. That's like mm-hmm. my dream. And that's actually kind of kind of a project, you know, is yeah. how do you how do you do this? I was talking with I think it's Thomas Fichter, you know, from uh, he had, runs a festival here, but also with Music Fabric. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about uh, new music ensembles in the US and mm. you know there's not many here that are very active who have members above 40 42
2: right that's a critical age is it
1: it's totally different it is it's a critical age but then like you you look elsewhere and many you know there's a lot of groups in other places in the world where there's no members under 40
2: right exactly yeah yeah (laughs) and And still have like like, uh, founding members at 65 yeah yeah
1: exactly and so this is a this is a it's a question that i think about a lot there's something about the climate you're saying is a bit rougher in the u.s basically for artists i think so um and just a cultural awareness just in general we can talk about U.S. education forever, we could talk about, um, you know, support of people and all that stuff. All of that ties in. So yep. it's it's yep. part of my, you know, we'll see where it goes. Uh, but yeah, trying to figure it out.
2: To end on an optimistic note, is there anything that you
1: would see yourself doing if you were to kind of pause your new music activities? Ooh, that's a that's a fun question i mean like a lot of people probably in our generation it has to do likely with food Yeah, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you're a gourmet aren't you yeah you know the yeah. food and cooking but you know that yeah. i think that that area is pretty saturated
2: so you um, would be willing to leave music for food that's that's a very good answer yeah 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 that's maybe some
1: oysters or something
2: yeah wow <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there's place for an oyster restaurant in your street. Absolutely. Oh, that's super interesting. But I, I remember for me it was like maybe ten years ago. I thought I'm so tired of all these critical voices, like a darn shot, you know, like oh, it could have been better. It could have been this. It could have been that. And then I just thought, how about just playing for people our age that actually love to go to the concert? And then we got a phone from like Panto the Prince, this Berlin techno guy and this all of a sudden you play for like 3000 enthusiasts and that's yeah. a di- totally different vibe and it feels so n- natural in a way yeah. <laughs> to go from a very like it's you so rehearse funny. for 3 months and you play for 59 people or kind of half of them don't like it anyways
1: yeah no how, like part that's part of like the the uh, the education thing is like you get put in this this system where yeah you're right there's a lot of critical thinking and things like that but yeah. but at at some point yeah you just want people to you know and it doesn't matter if it's five people for an audience which has happened many times or like or many more you know it's like that that's actually where it is it's not you know and so you want to build up the tools to be able to get to that spot
0: yeah but
1: that i did have that realization too hakon is like just all these voices and all this stuff and once you like forget it i'm if i'm into it that's 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 all i can do
0: Yeah. yeah